Uh, we are in a series called Good King, Bad King. I've uh, thought about re, uh, retitling it. It should be uh, Better King, Bad King. There's no such thing as a good king because there's none righteous, no, not one. Okay. Uh, but, but David, certainly better than his uh, uh, predecessor, Paul, or Saul. Paul's in the New Testament. We were just talking about him. Anyway, uh, uh, Saul, bad king, David, good king, and we're kind of walking through their story in 1 Samuel. If you want to turn there with me, we're going to be in 1 Samuel 16. While you're doing that, let me give you a little PSA. Some people think that stands for public service announcement. It actually stands for pastor service announcement. Uh, I do these every once in a while. Sometimes I call them sermon sidebars, but before we get going in our text today... Um, I get emails every once in a while, and sometimes people ask us, why do we do what we do around here? And, and it's valid. There's different ways that we could be doing different things. When it comes to preaching, sometimes people are like, why are we just walking through books of the Bible, verse by verse, for long chunks of time? Uh, isn't there enough going on in our news or in our political situations or whatever, you know, that, that, that we should just preach the news? Let's just preach the news, right? Now, give me the things that are of today and and. And, uh, and, you know, let's get out of the Old Testament. What is that anyway, right? Uh, haven't got a lot of those emails, but when I get them, I always say the same thing. Um, is my mission as your pastor to teach you God's word. Why? Because the Bible has so much to teach us. There is so much in that book or on your phone huh, that uh, uh, God has revealed to us that, that will help us with anything. That's flashing across our screens in the news. Uh, I'll just remind you what Paul told Timothy as he uh, wrote to his young pastor friend in Ephesus. In his second letter to him in chapter 3, Paul says this, that all scripture is breathed out by God, inspired by God. And it's uh, profitable for teaching. Uh, that's what I'm doing right now. For reproof. This is a great word. It, it basically is like uh, it, it shines a light in your life. When you read the Bible and you let yourself um, be reflected in it, you'll find out this is God's standard. This is how I'm living. They don't match, right? And so that next part comes in as you read God's word and you see that you are uh, not lining up with his will for uh, your life. You can be corrected by God's word and go in a different direction. Uh, you can also be trained uh, for righteousness, uh, that the man of God, Paul's writing to his friend Timothy, he's a man, but ladies, you're in here too, that the, the, the people of God may be complete, that's this Greek word teleos, which means not perfect, uh, but more like the perfect, the God who we serve, and equipped for every good work. Uh, e even uh, as I was uh, spending my weekend at home, uh, I was reminded of this in just a, a menial task. I I put together, I had a, I ripped the instructions, but I, I put together an Adirondack chair for our backyard. And as most things uh, are these days when you buy them, there's some assembly required, right? And so who's opened a package that had the instructions in it, right? And then the, now they're getting really cool. They give you the parts, but they give you tools. I didn't even use this wrench. I don't know if you can see it. If somebody need a wrench, you can come get this after. But uh, uh, they're, they're providing the whole thing, the, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the whole shebang in the box so you could build what you need to build. And when I thought about it, uh, these things had a lot in common with this, right? Uh, the instructions for life, God's given it to us. Certainly, we've got to do some work in understanding them and, and rightly, as it tells us in the scriptures, rightly divide God's word, right? Uh, but the, the instructions are there. And then he gives us the tools, the means by which we can fulfill his hopes for us. Uh, I love that. Um, so the next time you're building your Adirondack chair, 
Just remember the Bible, and, and that's what God's given us, right? Paul wrote it this way to the Romans. Uh, some people ask me sometimes, why are we always in the Old Testament? We're not. But, uh, you know, isn't the, the new covenant revealed in the New Testament? Why don't we just stay there? The whole thing is good, people. And Paul actually wrote about that as he wrote to his friends in Rome. He says this. He says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, that's what he's referring to. The New Testament hasn't been written. He says, these scriptures give us hope. The Bible gives us hope to face the world that we live in. So I'll preach God's word and we'll apply it to the world. And lots of times I have to remind folks that, yeah, we live in the world, okay? And it's broken, right? Uh, and sometimes we can just get so wrapped up. I, I'm going to encourage some of you to turn your screens off more often, okay? Because you just get so like chicken little about everything that's going on in the world. And you come to me and you say, Mark, the world, the world, the world. Fix it or talk about it. And somewhere behind the fears that you have in the world, God's word awaits. This is not the life that we live. This is not how we live. We've been called to a life that says, no. Thousands of years, God's truth has been revealed to us. And no matter where we find ourselves in history, this is our focus. And we look at this through this lens, and God sees us through. Are you with me? All right, public service announcement, pastoral service announcement, over. Can I preach now? <laughs> uh, First Samuel. Chapter 16, we're, we're in this story of uh, Saul, certainly. We've been hearing lots about him. But last week, we were introduced for the first time. It's the first time his name's used in the scripture. David, the king who will follow Saul. He's anointed uh, there amongst his family members, his brothers and his dad. Uh, and he is uh, chosen by God, not because of how he looks on the outside, right? Uh, he passed over seven sons of Jesse to get to the youngest, the, the least son and God says, I'm not worried about what everybody else thinks. I'm worried about what's inside a man, and I'm worried about the one that I have uh, sovereignly seen as the man of my heart. So I look at his heart, and he's the man of my heart, and off we go. And so David will be king. It's going to take a minute. <laughs> uh, but today we're going to actually see the origin story of David in the palace of Israel. Uh, it's, it's so fascinating. Have you ever met somebody, and as you're getting to know them, you're, you, you want to know some background? So you're like, tell me about yourself. Uh, uh, where'd you grow up? Uh, if, if it's a couple that you're meeting, how'd you guys meet, right? How'd you get here? I ask that to people all the time when they introduce themselves to me after a service. You know, it's my second time to Bay Life. Oh, how'd you get here? And they're always like, buy my car. <laughs> uh, uh, that's not what I meant. I mean, how, how, what, what things have happened that you would actually... You know, hang out with us. I love hearing those stories. They're origin stories. And in the story of the good king and the bad king, there is uh, uh, this story of their initial meeting in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16. Um, we're going to see, I just opened something. There we go. It's gone. Uh, we're going to see in this story that God's going to use a bad thing uh, that is happening in the life of the current king, Saul, to bring about a good thing, which is the introduction of David into his palace. Um, ever notice how God uses bad things to bring about good results? It happens all the time if you're really looking. Uh, uh, life breaks in a broken world. Uh, like my wife uh, on, uh, I think, Tuesday of this past week, Eleanor got up to go to her Pilates class. She's doing great going to this uh, Pilates 
wherever it is. It's all the way down in Fishhawk. We live up by the mall. And uh, she, get, she gets up super early in the morning and drives there in the dark so she can, you know, uh, bend in the directions they tell her to. But uh, 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 she got up on this particular morning to go to her class and, uh, and she had misread the schedule. It's an app, and she just misread the, the eight for a six. And so she, I guess she thought it was going to be, you know, super early, but it was a, a class that she had mistakenly scheduled for when she was going to need to be at work. So she's driven all this way, right? And she's like, ah, oh, I missed it. Right. Who's ever been there? You, you just misread something. You're in the wrong place at the wrong time. But she turns on her radio. Uh, which I don't know if that's a common, I think it is, but she, she, she finds a, one of the Christian radio stations and there's a preacher on there and that's not my, you know, it's not her normal bent to sit there, but she's got all this extra time. She's like, well, you know, maybe I'll just listen to this. And, and a guy named Charles Stanley, he's, he's gone to be with the Lord, but uh, one of his sermons was on this radio and she comes, you know, so, so I'm not expecting her. I, I think she's going to be in this class. I'm just sitting at the table having my coffee. She comes in, she says, Mark, you're not going to believe what I just heard. And she details for me, so excited about the things that she had heard in this message from Stanley. And I'm, and I'm, I'm like listening to her the whole time, like a good husband. I'm like, aren't you supposed to be at Pilates right now? Yeah, yeah, don't worry about that. And, and, and she's so excited for everything that has happened in the wake of the failure that was the Pilates class. Are you with me? And, and so this is essentially what we have here. Yeah, in this origin story of Saul and David coming together. So we're going to get to that eventually. The story is told here in this last part of chapter 16. But I want to cover two very important contrasting truths about the Spirit of God and his presence in our life, or lack of presence in our life, as it's uh, kind of uh, used in the, in the first verses I'm going to cover today. We're going to see the Spirit uh, be uh, rushing upon David, the new king, the newly anointed king, and we're going to see the Spirit of God leaving. Uh, the current king. Uh, so let's talk about those two things. The first one's this, surrender to God. In life, we should all surrender to God. Why? Because that's what ushers in his spirit in our lives. Look at what it says in verse 13. Now, we're here at the anointing story of David. Uh, it says that Samuel took the horn of oil, which God earlier in our chapter had said, fill up your horn and let's go. Quit moping around. But Samuel takes his horn of oil and he anoints David in the midst of his brothers. How were those guys feeling? Uh, uh, but maybe they were excited. I don't know. I don't think they were. But, uh, uh, but then it says the next thing, and the only thing that it says uh, in the wake of David's anointing is that the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Uh, the spirit here is a Hebrew word, ruach. It's almost like you're breathing out as you say it, ruach, right? And uh, uh, it's the word that we have for spirit. It means breath. It even sounds like a breath, ruach, right? And, uh, and, and so the breath of God or the spirit, the person of, of the Holy Spirit comes upon David in these moments and it says that he stays with David. And certainly the story of David, uh, you know, proves that. Like, if, like, again, not perfect, Bathsheba, right, some other things. But, but for the most part, uh, he is uh, submitted, surrendered to God, and that's what allows the spirit of God to lead him in life. As he writes the Psalms, which is one of the books in our Bibles, many of them written by David himself, uh, we see that he was dedicated to prayer. Many of them are prayers to his God, intimate messages from him uh, to his father. Uh, he, he, he indicates in there that he pr uh, prays three times a day like every good Jewish man was meant to. But beyond that, he takes in, in, in Psalm uh, 139. No, that's not right. It's Psalm... What's the big one? 119. There it is. Uh, 
Psalm 119, verse 164. There's a bunch of verses in Psalm 119. He, he says, I, I praise you seven times a day. And so here's what we, we don't have the exact picture of what that is, but David's praying three times a day. He's, he's taking an extra, extra additional seven times to praise God, whether it's through his songs or some other way. He is soaking in it, right? It's like the old Palm Olive commercials. You're soaking in it. David was soaking in the spirit, and he allowed him to lead him and direct him over and over again. As you see the story of David unfold, he's constantly consulting God for his next move. It's how we're supposed to be. Surrender to him so that by his spirit, he can lead us. So he didn't just let God direct him. He let God correct him. If you read the story of David in the wake of his mistake with Bathsheba, he doesn't make excuses like his predecessor Saul. He doesn't blame everybody else, right? He just says, yep, did it. And he writes Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, right? I was wrong. Create in me a clean heart. Take not your Holy Spirit from me, right? Keep me in your grip and forgive me and let's move on. For your glory and my good. Yeah, he, he, he was willing to be directed and corrected. His surrender uh, was the determiner in the presence of God's spirit. Uh, if you compare that to what Paul writes uh, to his friends in Galatia in chapter 5, in that uh, chapter, uh, it's in the context of the fruit of the spirit. The fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, so on and so forth, right? In the context of that, he says this to his friends in Galatia, but I say walk by the spirit, verse 16, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. He finishes up this run. In between, he talks about the, the fruit of the spirit, but he finishes this little uh, portion of, of his letter saying, if we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. Let us not... Step off that path into things like conceit and provoking each other and envying each other and all these nasty things that would lead us away from God's best. We have these moments. Listen, look at me. Some of you are checking out already. Hear me. These moments are coming where you have the choice to surrender to God and be influenced and led by his spirit or... Uh, to uh, have conceit and think you know best and become a provoker of and an envier of other people and make messes in your life. They happen all day, every day, right? And mine was yesterday, same thing, Adirondack chair, right? I'm sitting there, I'm making this chair. I'd already made one a couple days before. Uh, they came in as a set of two, and so I knew what I was doing. I had been kind of familiar with the process, knew which bolts went where, and uh, I'm, I'm in the living room of our house building this chair, and uh, all of a sudden I sense the presence of another. My father-in-law, Byron, has shuffled into the room. Uh, Byron is an engineer by trade. He loves drawing plans and building things. He is, uh, I believe, at the age of 91, still with us because he busies himself with projects. And so he, uh, uh, you know, with his limited hearing, had somehow perceived that I was building something. I think he's got like this sixth sense for that kind of thing. And he appears in my, and, so he, so he, and he just kind of sits down on his walker. Because he's not, he's a man, he gets it. He's not going to start helping me without an invitation. But he's going to stare at me until I ask, right? <laughs> and here's what I know. I can do this faster. I already know what I'm doing. All right? Uh, 
uh, he can find something else to do. I'm walking through all the reasons that I could just stand there and ignore his presence. And they were all rooted in me and my comforts and my wants. And I didn't have this like huge prayer session. We didn't sing songs together or anything like that. But I sensed in that moment that God was saying, hey, bozo, love your father-in-law and let him help you build this chair. In his limited abilities, that means I had to bend over and hurt my back uh, to, to make sure that I hold the Allen wrench as he uses the ratchet to, to cinch up the nut that's on the bolt. That means I'm flipping this chair over in ways I would have never done if I was just doing it by myself so that I could involve my father-in-law. My mother, or my mother, his, she's not a mother to any of us. His daughter, my wife, is Eleanor, and she comes into the to room after she's been out that morning and sees us, and she's like, oh, isn't this nice? And I'm like, yeah. But, uh, uh, but I knew in that moment, and, and that's just one of them, this is what is honoring God. I surrendered by God's grace, not because I wanted to, uh, and certainly helps out in a sermon like this, but I surrendered by God's grace to that moment and just said, Byron, let's build a chair. God's glory, your good, my blessing. We even made up songs. Chair maker. <laughs> it's a song we sing. It's stupid. Dad didn't know it. Anyway, uh, this is what happens when we surrender. The Spirit of God has his way in us. And that's how this is supposed to work. Conversely, there's another king in the story who earlier on, in our telling of it, uh, has chosen to disobey God, reject God, has even referred to God uh, as he speaks to the prophet Samuel as, Samuel as your God. Let's go give sacrifice to your God. There's a distance here, Right? And in the next verse, verse 14, we see uh, the, the repercussions of that distance. And we're going to learn that rebellion against God ultimately pushes out the spirit of God and then uh, in other ways allows other spirits to come in and influence us. You'll see what I mean when we read the verse. Verse 14 says this, now the spirit of the Lord departs from Samuel. I know, I was just checking if you knew. <laughs> Thank you over here, you passed. The Spirit of the Lord indeed stayed with Samuel and departs from Saul. Can we go on? And a harmful spirit from the Lord torments him. The Spirit of the Lord departs from Saul. The departure is caused uh, by Saul's rejection of him. In the chapter previous, uh, he, he's already disobeyed God in the commands that were given to dealing with, uh, with, dealing with the Amalekites. And so uh, he's, he's been confronted with his, his choice, and he's, he's trying to do what he's normally done when he's blown it, which has been too many times. He, he says, okay, Sam, uh, let's go make sacrifices to your God, and we'll make everything okay by doing that. Uh, but what we see is, is Samuel in this story is like, no, that's done. We're not doing that anymore. He says this in verse 26 in the last chapter, 15, uh, hey, I will not return with you to give sacrifices to our God. Why? Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you. It's a cause and effect situation. You moved away from God, and so God is honoring your choice, and he's moving away from you. We, we understand that as parents. Our Heavenly Father treats us like we treated our kids. If you've raised a child in here, you got to some point where you said, okay, buddy, you got a choice. You can either help clean up the room with your brother and sister and enjoy the ice cream that comes after, 
Or you could sit there and whine and mope, and I'll send you to your room without that ice cream. What would you like to do? And whatever our kids chose in that situation, we honored, right? Because we wanted them to learn from these uh, choices, and we wanted them to understand that they, their choices matter, and we're not going to constantly bail them out. You choose, you live with the consequences. You make your bed, you got to lie in it, right? And so Saul has made his bed, and as a result, uh, the Spirit of God has departed from Saul. And in its place, uh, it says in verse 14, uh, uh, a spirit from God, not of God, but a spirit from the Lord uh, has, has been sent to torment him. Uh, ever read something in the Bible? You're like, whoa, wait a minute. Did God just send uh, like a demon? Oh, you know, to, uh, we're going to get to the possibilities here. Can we all agree as we start that God's sovereign over all beings? Can we agree with on that? Now, some of the books I read this week said, well, maybe this is a situation where like God is sending one of his angels as an angel of judgment like he did in the plagues of Egypt when, uh, in Exodus when the, uh, the, the children of Israel were slaves and 10 plagues were beset upon Pharaoh and the, and the people of Egypt. The last one was the biggie. Remember that one? Uh, the, the, the 10th plague in the story of the plagues of Egypt uh, was the plague of the firstborn son, that the death of the firstborn son of every household in Egypt was commanded by God. And it says that he sent his angel of death. And the only way that you could spare your son's life was to, uh, you know, for the, the Jews was to take a, a sacrificial lamb and take the blood and put it on the doorpost. I don't have time to preach it all, but it's super, you know, crucial to the whole story of our scriptures. But it came as a result of God judging Egypt with his uh, angel, the angel of death. And some people think that's what's happened here. God sent one of his angels to plague uh, and torment Saul. Uh, most of what I read this week is uh, similar to that, but kind of in a, in a slightly different direction. Um, God has allowed uh, our enemy, Satan, and his followers, demons, to actually have their way in Saul's life. Like, they want to have in every one of our lives. Does everybody understand this? Like, we're in a spiritual battle. Like, it's happening right now. Uh, like, uh, the forces that uh, God employs are, are uh, you know, fighting against the, 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 the forces of our enemy in keeping us focused and listening to God's word so that we can apply it in life. Uh, if you've ever sat in church and the whole hour went away, Satan won that hour, Right? Because uh, you were distracted by whatever was going on. I don't want to be over whatever. But, but that's basically what's happening. And so what we understand theologically about God and his grace is that he holds back most of what Satan intends for us. Everybody gets that Satan's a roaring lion seeking that whom he may devour. He would destroy every one of us if God were to allow him to do so. Kind of like the story of Job. Remember Job? God and Satan have this conversation, and, and, and Satan says, Job would curse your name if you just let me do what I could do. And, and God says, all right, I'll, I'll let you do. You can't kill him, but I'll let you do whatever you're going to do. And, and, and the story of Job moves forward. But God removes his protection. And uh, that's what most scholars I read this week believe happened uh, in this spirit that comes to torment the king, Saul. It goes back to coffee cups like so many things do. Um, uh, where God is, there, there can be peace. Where he is not, there will not, right? So if you know God, you know peace. That's on one side of the coffee cup. But if there's no God, there is no peace, and that's on the other side of the coffee cup. This is the concept that we have 
uh, tied to the presence of the Spirit. Paul wrote it this way. I've been studying 2 Corinthians with my guys on Thursday morning. He, he says in uh, chapter 3, verse 16 of that book, that when one turns the Lord, the, the veil is removed. There's so much there. It's so great. But we basically live in darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. And when we turn in, in repentance and surrender to him and we see Jesus, the veil that was in the context here, the Old Testament laws and all those things, but so many other things that would lead us away from the one true God and his truth, the veil is lifted and the spirit comes upon us when we by faith receive Jesus. And this is what Paul says, uh, where the, the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. To do whatever you want? Nope. Freedom to do whatever he wants. Freedom to see things in ways you couldn't before when the veil was in place. There is freedom from the persecution and oppression of our of our enemy. So we got these two things. We got the surrender to God, which ushers in his spirit. We got rebellion in Saul against God, which ushers the spirit out. Uh, we got the presence of God bringing blessing. Uh, we got the absence of God leaving us in torment. Uh, who's, who's picking the presence of God over the absence of God? Anybody? The Bears fan is. That's good. Yeah, I, I think that's a wise choice. And one more time, as Paul wrote it uh, to the Galatians, if we live by the spirit, Galatians 5.25, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So uh, those are the two contrasting truths. May we live in his Spirit and receive his direction and correction as we go forward in life. Uh, so here comes the story, the origin story I promised. Uh, they're seeing, uh, verse 15, uh, the, the, the leaders who lead with Saul uh, are seeing the effects of this tormenting spirit, however it's come upon him. And, and they know as fellow leaders, no good. This is not a good thing for the king to be functioning this way as he leads our country. And so uh, as responsible leaders, I'm, I'm picturing these guys, I don't have it on, you know, uh, on authority from the scriptures, but I'm picturing this being like his, his uh, cabinet, you know, his advisors, his close ends as they rule in Israel, Right? Uh, they're noticing what's happening uh, to their king, and they say this, hey, man, behold, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. If you haven't put your finger on it, Saul, we have. Um, there's something going on here. And, and so they, this is their advice. As the advisors of the king, they say this, let our Lord, that's Saul, so Saul, uh, command your servants, not necessarily us, but all of the other servants, the other underlings uh, that work in your uh, palace, uh, uh, to, to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre, which uh, uh, maybe your translations say harp. It was a, a stringed instrument, ancient stringed instrument uh, that David was, you know, he could shred on that thing. And so uh, they said, find someone who can play, you know, beautiful music. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, uh, this person who plays well will play that instrument and, and it will be uh, soothing to you. You'll be well. And here we have, 3,000 years ago, this concept that all of us are familiar with. Music affects mood. Is everybody with me on that? That's true, right? Like if you're going to go work out in the morning uh, and, and you know, you got a bunch of reps at high weights, I'm, I'm going to encourage you not to pop, you know, pop in or, or, or dial up air supply for that workout session. Right? Some of you don't know who that is. It's a band from the 80s that it was all like, ah, and it's just not going to get you going, right? That's an actual song from Air Supply. Ah. Anyway, uh, 
Uh, it's just very low and soothing music and not fitting for a workout. You need something that's, you know, like Eye of the Tiger. You know, you need, you know, like something like you, you, it harkens back, you know, scenes from Rocky Three, and you're fighting Mr. T and you're like, yeah, let's go. Uh, they've actually done studies on this and they have found there's a correspondence between the beat and the music and the, and the rate of your heart. They kind of mirror each other, right? And so if you're listening to high, you know, speed music, you know, thrash metal or something, you're going to want to mosh. If you're listening to air supply, you're going to want to take a nap, right? Uh, and, and so music has a soothing uh, component, and, and these advisors searching for anything that could help their leader be a, uh, you know, a, a better leader says, hey, man, let, let's, start, let's go to Spotify, and let's start figuring this out. Let's get some music going in here, Right? Uh, and so that's what they decide to do. So that's what Saul decides to do. It says here in verse 17, hey, uh, all of you uh, servants under me, verse 17, uh, provide for me a man who can play well. It's going to show up right here. It's going to show up on the screens. Uh, right, th- I told you, uh, provide for me a man who can play well and bring that guy to me. And so can you picture this? It's like a you know, team meeting, uh, you know, Monday morning. Uh, it's been decided that we need some music up in here. And so uh, Saul gets all of his team together and he says, hey, man, I need someone. Go find him. And so people are like, check, king. And they start walking out and they grab their phones and they're like, you know, going through their social media. Uh, who's holding a guitar on, you know, Facebook or Insta? That's not what happened. But uh, uh, there's someone in the crowd. As everybody else is leading, that's how I picture it. He's like, hey, guys, don't even bother. I got him. It says in verse 18 that a young man, so many unnamed heroes in Scripture. Here's, here's the one who got everything got started with David in the palace. He, he's apparently a, 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 a friend of David's, maybe a fellow Bethlehemite. Uh, he knows of David by reputation. We don't know, but he's the guy who's like, I got him. Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite. To this point, unbeknownst to Saul, doesn't know he exists. And he says this, this kid is skillful in playing. He shreds on that axe, right? He can play, but not just that. And then he starts rattling off the resume of David. He's a man of valor. He's a man of war. Uh, He is prudent in speech. Uh, He's a great writer, does songs, plays the harp. Uh, He's a a great orator, apparently, uh, and smart with what he says. He's a a man of good presence. It's this word that means um, uh, basically he's he's not hard to look at, but he's also got lots of charisma. So valor, courage, war, tactician. Uh, He's he's, uh, a man who can speak well. He's He's a man who's easy to follow. What is he describing? He's describing a king. Like if Israel's going to follow someone, sure he plays the harp, but this guy, he's something else. He saves uh, the best uh, descriptor of David for last. What's it say? It says, and the Lord is with him. All Saul wanted was someone who could play. But this guy's like, oh, you got to meet Dave. You got to meet Dave. Yeah, he can play, but he's so much more. And this is how Dave gets into the story uh, of Saul in his palace. Uh, Saul, uh, upon hearing about D- uh, David, uh, well, says, well, all right, let's get him. That's what the next verse says. He, he sends messengers to Jesse, and he says, hey, man, I heard you got this kid, David, who can play. Send him to me, uh, this son of yours who apparently watches your sheep. 
and, and that's what happens. Uh, Jesse uh, responds to his king wisely. <laughs> and uh, he, he takes a, a donkey, uh, you know, it's kind of like a trailer on the back of one of our vehicles, and uh, he, he, he straps to it some, some bread from his ovens and a skin of wine and, and uh, slaughters a young goat that uh, the king can, you know, have for barbecue. And he sends them with David, his son. He says, here you go, the whole package, my tribute, my kid, you got it all, king. And uh, it tells us that David came to Saul and, and he, he entered into his service, starts playing. Uh, and Saul is, is so enamored with this guy. He loves him greatly and loves him so much that he promotes him. Hey, intern, music intern, uh, how about uh, handling up on the business end of my armor needs? Uh, you're going to be the, guy, the last guy I see before I go into battle. You're going to be the one that makes sure everything's you know, uh, cinched up and I got everything that I need to fight my fights. It was a huge, esteemed position in ancient royalty. So David goes from being just you know, uh, the background music to, to being like a, a, trusted, uh, a trusted agent of Saul's. It goes on. It says Saul uh, sends to Jesse and says, writes him an email like six months in, I'm guessing. And he's like, hey, uh, David's staying you're going to have to find someone else to watch your sheep. He's done doing that. Uh, he's going to stick around because uh, he's found favor in my sight. I can't do without him. That's what you want to hear your boss say, right? Can't do this without him. Got to have him. Uh, it, it says uh, uh, that Saul uh, took this no-name, nobody's shepherd, uh, not knowing he'd been anointed to be his successor, and he brings him into his employ. What a coincidence, you ever heard someone say that? What a coincidence. I hate that word coincidence. I don't believe in them. I believe in a sovereign God who anoints and appoints things, right? Who, who draws things. I mean, can you, can you just for a second step back from your life, let alone the life of David, and just marvel at how God has connected some dots here? Is everybody picking up what he's putting down? Here's what you need to know about our God. He's in charge. And remember that he's always at work around us, always, even when we don't see it, probably especially when we don't see it. He's always ordering steps to bring about his plans in life. Sometimes it takes us in hard directions. Sometimes we're just like, wow, what a coincidence. But it's always according to his sovereign plan that we end up as we end up. I mean, I was just thinking about this the other day. Uh, I have no business standing up here and, uh, and being your, your pastor for 19 years, absolutely zero. Had no interest in living in Florida. Had no interest in being a preacher, all right? I, I went to a, a, a Christian school. I met my, my beautiful wife. I wanted to get married. I needed a job. I went to work at a church. It was all I was qualified to do after sitting there for four years, right? And so I'm working as a pastor in this church. Uh, during one of the summers of my college career, I, I decided to work for the summer in a camp in Wisconsin, why? Because my sister was going and I didn't have any other plans. Has anybody ever just done that? Well, I guess I could do this. And I dedicated two months of my life to working in this camp that I'd never heard of. Had a blast, met this one guy, same deal. His sister was coming from Washington State to work at a camp near Milwaukee in Wisconsin. And, and she convinced her brother to come with her because she was nervous about going by herself. So I meet this guy, we become great friends. He's later in my wedding. He goes to, uh, after finishing at, at University of Washington, he goes to Princeton Seminary, gets his seminary degree. That's what he had always wanted to do. But he comes back and works at a church in Wisconsin. Doesn't, 
He's only got the two months there. He ends up at this massive mega church in Wisconsin. I'm working at my first job so I can marry my wife in a little place called Pekin, Illinois, and I'm just minding my own business when my friend Dave calls me and says, hey, the, ma- the middle school pastor job just came open at this massive church. I've got like 80 kids total in both ministries. It's 400 middle schoolers. You're perfect. And I'm 24 years old and thinking, you know, you know what? He's right. I'm perfect for this job. And so I, uh, you know, in crayon, write a resume, and I send it to... Uh, you know, the, the guy there, and I get this interview because Dave works at this church. I get this interview at this church I have absolutely no business working at. And that was made very clear to me when they basically told me, you absolutely have no business working here. And so I didn't get that job, right? And I thought, oh, well, I got to hang out with my buddy Dave for a weekend. No loss, go back. Uh, about, uh, about a month later, I get a, a letter in the mail from a church in Dallas, Texas. Don't know anybody in Texas. I open it up. It's the, it's the same last name as the pastor in the church in Wisconsin. That guy in Wisconsin was like, this kid's got some schutzpah. He came here to apply for the job. And I'll give that to him. My son is a pastor in Dallas. He needs a youth pastor. Who knows? And about six months later, I was driving a U-Haul to Dallas. About seven years after that, they told me I had to go to seminary if I wanted to keep working there. So I became qualified to be a preacher. Hi. And then two years after that, they had told me I, wanted, I was supposed to plan a church for them. I, I accelerated my seminary training so I could go do that, and then they pulled the plug on it. And so I went on a website uh, on Christmas of 2003, uh, just kind of wondering if there was any other opportunities. It's the only time I've ever, ever, I swear to you, the only time I've ever uh, you know, expressed interest in a job that had not been offered to me first, and the first church on the list started with B, Bay Life, Right? And I wrote this church, this stupid letter, and they, they, they went into full court press, and six months later, I was your pastor. How's it going? Yeah. Okay, I'm glad there's somebody clapping. But, but here's the deal. I had nothing to do with any of that. Does everybody, did you pick up the points of the story? Never once in that story did I say I intended for this to happen. It just did. And God has a way of moving the chess pieces around the board as he needs them so that what he has anointed, a middle schooler watching sheep, becomes the appointed, the next king of Israel. Last thing is this, and I'll let you go home. Uh, You're going to head out of here and head into the world again and be around people who are far from God. Can I remind you? As this uh, text teaches us, I believe, to be a blessing to those who are far from God. Look at how it ends. Um, Saul, uh, uh, just completely swept up by this shepherd boy, uh, David, son of Jesse, uh, promotes him, keeps him around. Why? It says, whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, this is why I loved him, David took the lyre and he played it with his hand, and Saul was refreshed, and he was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Isn't that good news? The harmful spirit doesn't have to stay. Yeah, uh, uh, and in this case, in Saul's case, it was the presence, not just of a good harp player, but don't forget his resume, and the Lord was with him. What, do you, what songs do you think David was playing? The ones he wrote, the ones that are, you know, in your Bible, in the book of Psalms, whichever ones those were, the early hits, right? Uh, he's, he's singing those songs. It's what he knows, And so he's extolling the greatness of God and honoring him with his words as he plays the harp 
Uh, Saul's around him. He sees his character, that the Lord is with him. Uh, he is uh, in, in spiritual osmosis, if you want to call it that, just soaking in what is good. And as God ministers through David to Saul, the, the, the harmful spirit leaves. Listen, it's, i got two minutes to explain this, but, but I'll just I'll, I'll leave it at this. There is something about the presence of the light of God in us that shines to the people who don't see him. So that veil is over their faces, like I read about. And, and when we're around them, and we're allowing, we're surrendered to the Spirit, and we're allowing the Spirit to lead us and how we deal with them and talk to them, things change in their lives. I was golfing with a guy this past Friday. It's a long story. I don't have time to tell it. But uh, uh, essentially, he's just a, an acquaintance. I met him a year ago. He wanted to golf at the course that I golf at. And so he just walked up to me, bold face, on a, on a Friday morning and said, hey, uh, are you full? Can I golf with you? It happens at courses every once in a while. And I was like, yeah, no, we don't have a foursome. Do you want to play? And this is how I met, his name's Greg. That's how I met Greg. And Greg and I started hanging out. He's a really good golfer. Uh, and, and we're just hanging out and stuff like that. And he would play with us, you know, two, three, four times. Just keep kind of calling and we traded phone numbers. Well, one, one of the times that he's calling me, is about a year ago, he writes me uh, a text and he says, you will not believe what happened on the way home. I was driving on 75 going, you know, uh, you know, at a rate of speed, and, and, a, and a work truck in front of me, one of the ladders that was fashioned to the side of this, this work truck came loose, and it went through the passenger side window uh, of the front seat of my truck. He's like, can you believe that? What a coincidence. Here I come, right? And I'm like, there's no such thing as a coincidence, Greg. Texting him back. It's no coincidence that you uh, went to a golf course and the guys that you managed to find a, would let you play were a pastor and two elders from that church. And there's no coincidence that you've been hanging out with me. And there's no coincidence that that ladder missed you. God has something uh, to do in your life. So I wish I could tell you we had this great conversation and he became a Christian. He ghosted me. That was it. Never heard from him again, right? Uh, I even texted him like a week later. Hey, did I scare you off? crickets, nothing, until this past Monday. Hey, man, any chance I can golf with you this Friday? Yeah, bro, it's just me. You're going to have to sit in the cart with me. <laughs> and you're going to have to listen to me talk to you. And we, we did. We had a great time. And I don't know what led him back. I didn't think he, you know, there's whatever. It, it, he's just back in my life, right? And, it, and so I'm walking away from that. I'm like, huh, what a coincidence. Nope. It's not. You're in the life that you're, or the, you're in the lives of those that you're in life with. At the appointment of God to be his light in their world so that if they're far from him, they can move closer to him. So whoever your Greg is, I want you to pray for that person right now before we sing about the breath of our God. Just bow your head, pray for that person that you're in the life of that needs to see Jesus through you. Go ahead.
pray. Hey God, uh, thanks for a chance to study your word, uh, to hear from you today. I, I trust that's what's happened. God, as you have uh, revealed to us that uh, surrender ushers your spirit in and rebellion uh, ushers your spirit out. Help us to stay surrendered to you this week. In life, just help us to submit to you in every possible way. Uh, thanks for working behind our scenes, God, and, and making all things possible. All things work together for your good. Even if we're in a hard season right now, we trust that you've gone ahead of us into our future and you've prepared our way. Just help us to follow you, to trust you, knowing that you work. And then, Lord, as, as we just finished up, this breath that you've given us in our lungs, the actual physical breath that gives us physical life, help us to use that breath to form the words that encourage people and point them to you. Help us to be aware that we might be the only light that some of our friends ever see. And give us, God, the opportunity to make you known in, in the lives of those in our world. We love you, Lord. Thanks. You are a life and love and light uh, in our darkness. Thanks for giving us that. And we pray this in Jesus' matchless name. And everybody said, amen. And God bless you. Come and talk if you want. Have a good week.